this is Matt Kennedy, and this is Pod Sequentialism, a presentation by Meltdown Comics and Collectibles, La Luz de Jesus Gallery, the Wacko Soap Plant Superstore, Gallery 30 South in Pasadena, and um, and I guess technically the Panic Collective, Panic with a K. Look all those up. They're all available at, and they're progressive names. And of course, this podcast uh, is on social media as at PodSec, P-O-D-S-E-Q, and uh, Pod Sequentialism on Facebook. Um, my guest today is actually um, in an industry that we don't really talk about too much, um, and I think is one of the most important elements of how we as fans discover things. Um, so I'm going to welcome Autumn Ranger Cal. Greetings. And if you go to Comic Con, you've probably seen his Tangled Dreams booth um, in Hall. Is it C or D? I mean, they're all the same hall. The main hall. Yeah. Yeah. Front wall, 5555. Right across from Mike Mignola, <laughs> generally every year. Yeah. And, and uh, right in the illustration section, yeah. where I belong. Yeah. And I'm um, up against the wall. So, I mean, it's a real high traffic area. And you've got with you often uh, Rob Rupel who's um, a game designer, is, is often at your table or has been in years past, and, of course, Daniel Landerman. And, um, yeah, we all share a table. We, that's, you know, collective making things happen. Art Center crew. Yeah. And so what year did you graduate Art Center? Um, 2006. 2006. The, the winter of 2006, so essentially 2007. Right. And as far as I know, pretty much since then, you've been working really steadily in and mainly as a freelancer as a guy they call in to design ad elements ad campaigns and that type of thing generally as as the guy doing the illustration and meaning that you'll get an assignment and someone will be like okay here's here's the elements we're working with we need you to turn that into a poster or we need you to turn that into the cover of this or the side of a of a burger king cup or whatever the thing may be and King cups those are actually my favorite <laughs> they're the least work yeah. so the um and i have no idea if you're kidding but the um the the trade that you're in basically is is kind of the biggest money generator in entertainment and especially as it refers to things that grow out of comics so with um disney in control of the marvel franchise and with uh the dc heroes now a a billion dollar production entity um, the entertainment aspect of characters developed for comic books are really kind of leading the conversation at the corporate level of, of what people that make decisions are, are paying attention to. So in other words, the, the film industry and the gaming industry, which kind of outpaced the film industry for quite a few years, and I think they're probably at this point a little bit closer, a little bit more neck and neck, um, considering the amount of money that goes into development and the, um, the, the cost to spend, uh, the, the profit to spend ratio, that um, these, these, these two parts of the industry are making the decisions for most people in the public about what they like. So while at the time the Iron Man movie was made, the comic book probably had a readership of about 120,000 people, clearly more than 120,000 people went and saw the Iron Man movie, and then clearly more than that went out and bought that video game. A couple. Yeah. And so how did this come to you? Like what, what, what happened when you were at Art Center, right? Are you leaving Art Center that you kind of landed in this industry? Because you went for illustration and, and are a painter. Uh, yeah. My... Actually, I did, I did a dual track where mm -hmm. I did illustration and entertainment design. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
when the actual area of focus for me was character design and I was planning on going into video games and movies and the the development side of that right and becoming kind of like Ryan Minerding at uh, Marvel Entertainment where mm-hmm. he's the he's the the head of their visual development department mm-hmm. um, did you know who he was at that time at Art Center I yeah I actually had classes with him and mm-hmm. then he graduated and started teaching classes and I took some of his classes right um, in fact the illustration side was actually pretty light for me because of the way that that art center worked at the time it was it was you, you got the technical skill mm-hmm. and then you were kind of cut loose the last uh four terms or so yeah so last year and a third or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. um and the way that the illustration market was at the time it was very kind of do your thing yeah you know it, it's very open to just if that's the way you draw then draw that way yeah. and um and the, it was there was this push to develop a style that I didn't really fall into. Mm-hmm. I was more interested in the fundamental aspects of art because I always felt like I wasn't pushing hard enough to get where I wanted to go and, and at least artistically. Right. You know, and so them turning around and and, and being like, just go ahead and do your illustration thing. I, I, it, I didn't gravitate towards it as much. Yeah. That can either be liberating or terrifying. Indeed. Yeah. 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 It, for me, it was, I guess, frustrating. Yeah. Um, because I just wanted more information. Right. From these teachers, you know. That's a huge frustration for a lot of people at art school. That I think that at a certain point, maybe when they go in and maybe they're disabused by this because of the way the system is set up. Um, but people who really want more, and I'm not going to use the word accountability because that's a whole different thing, but I think more interaction and more feedback from their from their professors and their instructors don't often get it and you kind of have to be the squeaky wheel and then you become a source of annoyance for teachers that aren't necessarily geared for feedback so you can get like a bad grade which you then have to go to the department chair and fight for you know a higher grade based on it's like hey look you know i feel like this might be personal i keep asking for something that i'm not getting i want feedback they're not forthcoming. And I always encourage kids that are that are still at school to push. You know, push, 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 push. You're paying for that education. It's not cheap. And as as much information as you can get personally about your work is what's going to give you either the better chops to improve because you need feedback, you need the crits, and um, but you also need to know when to when to listen and when to kind of just okay I don't I don't agree with that critique and I'm not because I'm grandstanding on my ability but because I don't think it speaks to what I want it to speak to um, but that when you're paying the amounts of money that art schools cost considering what your your um, potential for income is at the end of that um, much like at architecture schools and other you know non technical um, not non technical but not um, immediately um, vacant industries where there's you need to keep hiring people that the market becomes really full really fast the competition is really tough and like you say it's like you got to get more vocal you got to be like really aggressively out there and kind of pushing yourself in order to be able to pay your bills nine times out of ten yeah yeah and you know I'm 10 years out and I'm still paying my student loans right so, right you know I, 
and even just smashing into them as hard as I can, mm-hmm. it's going to be still a number of years before I'm finished with them. You know what will happen is the day after you pay it off, there's going to be some great jubilee whereby all our educational debt is is. You know, this is thanks for the zero. curse there, Matt. Appreciate that one. <laughs> we can hope so for people who are less fortunate. Than Indeed, ourselves. yeah. If, Not if, that there are many people less fortunate. If I got to take that us. one for the team, and so that everybody else can get that, uh, then <laughs> so sure. be it. Yeah, sure, all right, sure. I can do that. And um, and so already, you know, 2006. You're talking about 11 years ago. It's weird to say it like that, right? Yeah. But um, you know that the kids now are probably paying five thousand dollars more a term than you were. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I started. I, I believe it was uh, twelve thousand five hundred. Oh my god, they're paying semester. ten thousand dollars more a semester than you yeah. were paying. Yeah, so they're they're up there. Yeah. Wow. I mean, but by the time I got out, it was, I, it was either fourteen or fifteen five. Right. Yeah. And that actually discourages the kids from taking off the terms in between, which I think is important to kind of learn, you know, what you just learned. Oh, for sure. I mean, even when I was in school, it was I was looking at it like there's no way that I can I can take a term off and and yeah. justify it until I just about snapped in my fifth term because it is a year long program. Yeah. There, it's you know, the, it's three semesters a year, full semesters with a week or three weeks off in between. And it's just it becomes like you, you, it becomes detrimental because you're not ingesting and understanding and what you just to a, learned. Yeah, yeah you're just you're, on to the next thing. Yeah, you, you're really learning for the grade, and you're not learning for um, cognition, Absolutely. and you're not retaining it. Yeah. And I, I always tell people if they can to take it off, but like you say, it's not always possible. Yeah. And especially if your family lives in a completely different part of the country, it's not like you can be like, oh, I'm just going to go home and sit this one out. It's like. You have to give up an apartment, you know, because yeah. it's not like Art Center really has dorms. Yeah. So the it can get really cost ineffective to step out. It's almost like, do you decide to start loading up? And this would be foolish, too. Do you, do you load up one semester with light classwork so that you can absorb the last classes that you took? And that means you're paying for something that you don't even really want. Yeah, I mean, it, there's there's a lot of different ways to go about it, and uh, I, you know, for for art school at least, uh, you know, I get people even today, kids will email me and and be like, hey, I'm I'm super interested in what you do, mm-hmm. and I want to know your pathway, and I see that you went to art center, you know, what do you recommend? And as much as I love the old style of learning, this immersion type mm-hmm. of thing. I, it at those numbers, it's super hard to justify. Yeah, you know, and, and you don't get three months off. I mean, then we were used to that, you know, in, yeah. in, in high yeah. school and whatnot. So you just touched on something that we're gonna we're gonna dive into, and it's like doing what you do. So describe what it is that you do in your profession for the listenership. Okay, uh, I sit at a desk and smash my head against a digital monitor for all day. <laughs> <laughs> at the behest of your corporate overlords. No, uh, so uh, what I generally do, and the the ask is different per project, right? Um, and it, but essentially, what I the ask is for sketches, mm-hmm. and these sketches are layout for what will eventually become the posters. Right. So there will be um, what they call scromping, which is taking photo assets and putting all those together into what is essentially 
the poster that they're pitching yeah. and then they're sketching. So d oftentimes we'll do a half and half presentation to the client. Right. Um, and then sometimes it's all on the sketch artist to come up with 100% of the, of the visual idea. And then sometimes that goes backwards. Then they call the, the casting crew in and they match the pose. If they go with a photographic version of that poster, they, they, they strike a pose that yeah. matches what you've already drawn yeah. as opposed to working from assets. Right. And so um, what are some of the pieces from a few years ago? I know that um, and before we started this conversation, we had to be very careful because of the types of non-disclosure agreements that exist in the entertainment business that um, until a project comes out, there's often a gag rule on uh, an artist's ability to even discuss the fact that they're working on them and and I would, I would talk to people over at Trailer Park constantly, and they, you'd see the posters out in public, and they're like, I want to be able to say, you know, that I've, I worked on this. And until the project is street date, um, they can't talk about it. And some people can't even talk about the fact that they've contributed in any way, depending upon their deal. But um, going back a couple years and before, so from 2006 to the point that things have been released, what are some of the projects that you've been most proud of that, um, you know, people, you definitely identify as, as your work? So to start this off, I want to be clear that I'm I'm part of a team. Right. So when I say I worked on something, it, I was a cog in a wheel. Right. Well, it's a pretty small wheel. You're, you're yeah. a lug nut in the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> there's like four lug nuts in the wheel, yeah. and then there's then there's the car. But yeah, yeah. Um, so something that recently came out that I can actually talk about is. Um, the uh, Fifty Shades Darker, mm -hmm. where he's putting the uh, the mask, the on, mask her face. on her face. That I specifically remember doing that sketch, and the idea was not mine. Mm -hmm. The idea is an art director's. The idea comes from the art director, mm -hmm. and then they, I will visualize it, send it to them, and they'll tell me how horrible it is, and go back and draw it another time. And, yeah, you know, and again, and and again I, it's and just again, like art school, <laughs> but you get paid. It's the reverse. You get paid for the critique instead of paying for it. So the um, and that's one example. You did quite a few of the superhero stuff a couple years back too, right? Um, I'm trying to remember some of the things that I've been on. It gets you know, a little bit uh, a little bit confusing as to uh, everything that's out and what I can talk about. Right. Uh, I did some work on Lucy. Mm -hmm. Um, the Scarlet Scar Joe. Joe movie, yep. yeah. Um, let's see what else did I do? Did you some Eastwood movies too. I remember. Oh gosh, yeah. What was the, um, the baseball one? Yeah, with JT. Yeah, yeah. I remember that because we we went and saw a movie and there were like three posters in the lobby on the way in that you had worked on, <laughs> and it was like, oh, I did that one and that one and that one. Yeah, that was. Um, uh, that's on the on the the film side. There's uh, I did some work. Um, what was the? I, uh, geez, there's so many of them. Uh, it's the F Fast and the Furious Six. I guess I worked on. Right. Um, yeah. And then it's interesting because I can. The way that the, the, the industry works is it's pitches. So right. there's, you know, there's multiple houses. There's maybe 50 that you pitch that didn't get made, and then the poster comes out different, or 100 or 1,000. And then there's, and maybe you, you work on a certain part of it, and it goes away and becomes something else. So maybe your contribution is a much smaller part of what finally comes out. You may not even recognize it as your own work. Or vice versa. Yeah, or uh, you may see elements that you think. Yeah, speaking of that Fast and the Furious thing, there was uh, some of the the body language went that was like my the the way that I pose people. Yeah, 
and that went to the special shoot, which mm-hmm. is where they take the sketches, they take the ideas, and they take them to a, a photographer, and the photographer shoots the the models, or sorry, the the actors and, yeah. and the people in the show. Sometimes models <laughs> in place for the actors as well. Call- Actually, well, I have a great example of that, which is that on the Jennifer Lopez, George Clooney movie um, that uh, Steven Soderbergh directed, what is it, out... What's the name of that movie? God, we're having Oscar Sunday um, brain fart here. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) We're recording actually on Oscar Sunday. It's going to come up today so you can actually listen to this instead of watching the ridiculous red carpet show. But um, that's not No Exit. No. Out of Bounds or... But um, I, I mention it because when they shot her for the poster, and there's a really great poster of a shadow outline of her holding a gun, you can see her her outline. She her butt was actually much bigger than the shadow on the poster, and they brought in a different model to pose to make it look like it was Jennifer Lopez. And they didn't use the shots of Jennifer Lopez, so the studio that had shot those because it was just shadow, you know, it was unused, at a certain point got to resell those images. And uh, out of sight, out of sight, ladies and gentlemen. And um, we actually bought a couple of those images of J-Lo to use as a shadow outline on a Jess Franco DVD release of 99 Women that we did at Blue Underground. And you can't tell it's her, it's just an outline. Mm. And Girl from Rio. And I think that um, if she had had any idea that um, we got to use those elements, that she would have had a complete and utter breakdown fit to be associated with the film that it wound up on. But um, as I say, it's altered. And, and But you, you do talk about body language, and body language is a very important part of a designer's artistic language. And so... Because when you want to have an idea and you want to work on it, you'll do your own photo shoots. And you've actually become a really good photographer. You, I, you are my wedding photographer, for crying out loud. And you're, you're not a quote-unquote professional photographer. And the pictures that we got were among the best wedding photographs I've ever seen in my life. Well, thank you. And you should probably look at more wedding photographs. No, I do. I see people pop stuff up all the time, and I know what they pay for stuff, and I'm very appreciative, by the way. But um, It was my pleasure. Thank you, thank you. I wouldn't and sit through a wedding otherwise. I know, right? <laughs> we, we tried to stock the deck with a lot of available women for you. But the, um, you know, the, that language of creativity is something that once you know, you can attribute across the board. So knowing how you want something to look and talking about composition, composition is the same science whether you're drawing or whether you're taking a photograph or whether you're painting or whether you're even putting together a collage. And to a a lesser extent, even if you work in abstract expressionism, there is a certain composition to the work that people will respond to. So when you are putting these elements together and you're you're doing your own shoots to to have stuff that you work on, sometimes if it's not going to be something you use for your personal work or for your painting or for your gallery exhibition stuff, do those elements wind up sometimes in the work that you're doing for the clients? The Whether it's Warner Brothers or whether it's New Line or Marvel or whoever. Um, so are you asking if, if my personal work uh, ends up in my professional realm? Yes. No, absolutely not. You, you, you actually keep a wall between I'm the two. I'm going on record and saying that categorically absolutely not right That now. you will not do it. No. That's kind of amazing. That's cool. 
I mean, they inform one another. Yeah. You know, as if you go to my um, Instagram mm-hmm. at A.R. Turkel. And that's the funny thing, too, because your initials spell out art. So it's kind of like, you know, if your name was Hoops, you become a basketball player. <laughs> Not the case in One Crazy Summer for John Cusack. But um, that it's almost preordained that um, that's sort of like that's hard to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we can get back to that. But yes, it, yes. if you if you go to my Instagram, you'll see that I do warm up images and, and that sort of thing. And generally, that's the type of thing where it will inform the work that I do on a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. So depending on what type of work I need to execute that day, I'll warm up in that medium. Right. So <clears throat> pardon me. Um, if I'm working in pencils for a day, mm-hmm. then I'm going to be doing a warm up in pencils. Uh, if I'm doing digital painting, I'm most certainly going to be doing a digital painting warm-up. Right. Um, and the the push for me every day is to get better at those warm-ups so that they better inform the work. That's but, interesting. I've never heard anybody articulate that, and I'm sure a lot of people do that. But it's sort of like it's, you know, stretching your legs before you sprint. For sure, yeah. You know, I do, I do 10 minutes of 30-second gestures of, mm-hmm. of just, you know— photos on the internet just mm-hmm. really quick and then I bust into a full warm-up and that's generally about 30 minutes or so mm-hmm. sometimes more depending on the complexity mm-hmm. and what the day looks like so if it's not going to be one of those days where we got to get you know five to eight sketches done a day and it's you know two or three but they're they're of a high level of finish right then I'll take a little bit more time to to get into the artistic mode that I need to be in Right. Now, when you were in college and before you decided to kind of, before you did your split track, um, you were somebody who obviously enjoyed comic books. And you liked fantasy art. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up on that stuff. You but know. you also knew at a certain point in college that there was no money in comics. And I, I mean, you've like, and you've certainly dabbled in comics. But um, yeah, don't anybody look that stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's somewhere out there, but it's not worth looking at. But we, you know, we were talking to Bob, you know, at Drink and Draw, and here's a guy who had, you know, Bob Layton had a tremendous run on on Iron Man and was, you know, one of the editors and writers at Valiant during their great heyday. You know, yeah. when when they were when the publishing numbers were in the millions, and as a guy working, probably one of the most successful working artists, and someone who's really often not given their due perhaps for exactly what he brought to comics absolutely he realized early on he's like i gotta get out of this racket like there's there's no money in this for bob layton (laughs) you know and knowing people like him and knowing you know a classmate who ends ends up at marvel and their character character design um part you probably realize pretty quickly it's like wow this this thing that i've been fascinated with which has been a part of my life and, and enjoying comics enjoying that type of art isn't going to pay the bills. Does that does that lead you while you while you're looking at a couple years into college and a tremendous amount of debt that you'll be paying off for a while? That okay, entertainment design is as natural a fit for me as would be to illustrate comics. Did that play into it at all? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, the 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 number coming out of Art Center has determined many of my decisions since I've since, since probably halfway through right you know and that i think that's about the time that i stopped collecting comics right. on a weekly basis because i was doing it for a number of years i've got 
19 short boxes yeah. at home, you yeah. know? And, um, and then it's like what you keep for reference and what you keep for collecting. And then it's like, and it's just expensive. It's an expensive hobby. Yeah. I mean, I mean storage. And, yeah. And, that was my thing. <laughs> you know that was my thing. Absolutely. Every time I've gotten rid of full collections, it's been because of the amount of space it takes up. And when you live with a woman, they're like, okay, what are all these boxes doing in our bedroom? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've found creative ways to stash the boxes so nobody even knows that I collected comics yeah. at this point. Yeah. Not that we're ashamed, but it's it's like it takes up a lot of real estate. It, it does, yeah. And, you know, as an artist, you're already taking up real estate with reams of paper and, yeah. and artboards and paints and, and books that are reference material that are necessary and just so many Rolled things. up canvases that fill my closet and then stretch canvases that take up even more room. Yeah, yeah. There's, that, there's, that plays into it. I mean, a lot of people, we're not unlike fish in that we can only grow as big as our tank is to a certain extent. So you want to have a lot of available space to grow. Absolutely. Hey, that was a pretty good analogy. Yeah. You have to write that one down. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, after we hear a word from our sponsors and pay a couple of bills, we're going to return in this great conversation with Autumn Rain Trakel about um, basically careers in entertainment art and that type of thing. So uh, we'll talk to you again in about 60 seconds. <laughs> All right, and three, two, one. Hello, welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host, Matt Kennedy, and I am here on Oscar Sunday in Hollywood, braving the traffic that it's going to take to get back to Pasadena with my good friend Autumn Rain Turkell at Meltdown Comics. And what we're talking about is the career track within the arts, especially for somebody who comes from an illustration background of working in entertainment art. Now, there's also, um, every year there's the Entertainment Art Awards, and, um, you know, Hollywood Reporter always does their, their big specialty issue. And it's like, you know, the size of previews, the comic book um, publication um, filled with all the key art and the key art awards and um, which campaigns win. And it covers a lot of ground. And now, now they've kind of put both together in that there's movies, um, video games, television shows, multiple categories for different products. And... Um, Quite a few of, of the projects you've worked on have, have won awards. Um, Can you talk about that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but to be to be honest, mm -hmm. like I said earlier, and and when we got sidetracked by whatever it was we were just talking about, that mm -hmm. we got sidetracked. Um, there's so many projects that come through that it's it's hard for me to keep track. Right. And it's certainly hard for me to keep track of what's even out. Uh, right. I'll actually be surprised that things are not out yet because you the amount so of long time ago. that, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then there's projects that go into limbo even where yeah. I I don't recall exactly what project it was. And I, I, it must have done, been three years ago now. Yeah. Um, I worked on it and and just kept on doing my thing and nothing 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 saw another poster for it saw things like finally surfacing about it and this is two years later three mm -hmm. years later and it just it surprised me that it wasn't out yet 
Right. And that's more often than not the case because I get so entrenched in the day-to-day grind of this this business. You'd think that that would be more common with animated films and animated projects because of the amount of setup time that those take as opposed to necessarily a live-action film. But now um, with, with certain projects, you know, whether you're talking about the Infinity Gauntlet stuff that's going to be coming down the pike from Marvel, and we're not talking about that because I, I have not... I don't know if you're working on that or not. I just mentioned it in passing. But that um, that's like a, a three-and-a-half-year film project mm. that started quite a bit ago with them setting up just the CGI backgrounds to be able to pop in and populate things that would be directed you know, live. And so that, that does happen now with a lot of the Marvel and Disney stuff and will probably be happening with the DC Universe stuff. Maybe we can get Ryan in here and he can tell us. <laughs> I keep I keep trying to get you know James and somebody from uh, from the gun camp to uh, to come in and get on the podcast and I mean it's honestly been much easier for me to get people I absolutely do not know and have never spoken to than to get the people that I do know to be on the show and it's just because I of scheduling. Why that is, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm <just> not loved. <laughs> you know, Kevin Smith. I keep missing Kevin too. Like Kevin keeps coming into La Luz on the weekends when I'm not there, and I'm like, damn it, someone call me. You um, know. What are you taking days off for? <laughs> well, I'm not taking days off. I'm working at Gallery 30 South on the weekends instead of doing, you know, La Luz de Jesus. But, the, um, you know, that the schedules for people, it's like when people have a moment, they get to get out and they're not necessarily prepping to do, you know, even a, um, an informal conversation with a friend. It becomes difficult to schedule that stuff because it's never just that. Yeah. And, you know, there's going to be someone from Marvel is going to be like, okay, make sure you don't talk about this, 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 and this. And like you say, wanting to clear... Right you know, an episode before it goes up. And I have been talking more lately with Simon Hatt, who um, is going to get a co-producer's credit on uh, Galaxy 2 and um, has a couple of his own projects in development. And he was, once upon a time, an assistant. And I want to talk to him about that, you know, rising from assistant to producer, Mm -hmm. which is um, a not uncommon thing anymore. So when you think about... You know, the the career that you have, I know you were freelancer for a really long time. Like you could just, you could work crazy amounts of hours over a certain amount of time and then be like, I'm going to Belize, you know, for two weeks or I'm going to go to Hawaii or I'm going to go visit family. Like you could, you had a lot of control over the amount of time and projects you were working on as a freelancer and probably making killer money too. And at a certain point, those companies are like, well, we're throwing a lot of money at Autumn. Why don't we just hire him? Yeah, which it, actually happened. Yeah, which, which happened recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the freelance life is great. The stress level is actually rather high of not knowing where your next paycheck's coming from. Yeah, and any any freelance artist out there understands it. Yeah, you know. Um, but when you're looking at the numbers from the student loans from art school, it's, yeah. you know. It's definitely like okay, wait, I can put this here and I can put that there, but then I got to work this many hours. So, yeah. you know, even when you've got that. When you finally put some money into savings so that you have a nest egg, you don't feel safe. Right. You know, and there's just no, there's no security in it. Right. You know, so. Uh, and, and you, you're, from what I understand, you're, you're pretty well paid, but you live a pretty Spartan lifestyle too. Like you're not a real extravagant spender. No. But, I mean, you, you really, you've lived in the same place for a really long time. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. It's, I mean, I mean, it's, it's been, been more been, than a decade. Yeah. It, it, to, to my surprise, even because time flies when yeah. you're when your nose to the grindstone, I yeah. suppose. 
And um, I mean, living any place for for ten years is can be a long time, and yeah. especially in LA where people do tend to move around, and especially in a business where your proximity to your workplace can change so drastically. Yeah. And certainly, you've had to travel from the east side to the beach and back every day while working on certain projects. Yeah, yeah. I've had a nice two and a half, almost three hour drive at certain points. Yeah. Like I would have been better off just going up to Santa Barbara and sitting on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's, it's, it was certainly taxing. So yeah. when, uh, bond came along, that's we are bond.com. Mm-hmm. Um, when they came along, uh, they're a newer shop in town. Um, I, they, they had brought me in and, um, I freelanced for them for, I want to say three years. Mm-hmm. And that last year was pretty much full time. Yeah. And so they they uh, they finally pulled the trigger because they grew. They, they they've been getting bigger and bigger projects, which is they really just nice. moved. Did they move into the old Michael Cohn Gallery space on Highland? They did not actually. Are they next door. Yeah, they are next door. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I just, I remember talking to you about that at one point, and uh, they, it's the, Michael Cohn's like the building right next door. There's an alleyway there, and it's so, right. But uh, they they definitely they're expanding. They're doing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's. And they deserve it. It's, I, I am honored to be on this team because yeah. there's amazing creative people there, and the heads of the company are super nice. And hey, they hired two of my friends. They got to be good people. <laughs> <laughs> got to have like, Daniel Landerman on one of these days too. Absolutely, he's, you know, he's an all right guy, <laughs> <laughs> and he lives close to me. I actually see him occasionally. Hmm. You know, I, I almost never see you anymore, and, and it's we're gonna have to fix that. We just yeah. go to the batting cages every weekend. This is more information than anybody knows needs to know. Yeah, yeah. And and now I'm I'm I. Probably I'm twice the man I used to be, um, spatially speaking. <laughs> but um, you know that I think that that's also part of your discipline too. Is like you you are, you know, you're, you're healthy, you work out, you you do the um, you exercise not just physically, but you're exercising with with um, the work that you're doing in the chops and the, and the types of exercise you get before you you build up to do your drawing as you explained. Now what's what's kind of funny to me is that the amount of practice drawing that you do at the detail that you do it, you could be whipping out strips like left and right unless you were trying to do strips because the way that the creative mind works is like, I can just I can just draw this hand. I can draw this you know, a million times. I'm going to get myself up to the point where I start to work on something as opposed to sitting down and paneling something out and working on it. And then, of course, someone who's making the type of money that you make in entertainment to take that time and knowing what your your hourly wage is and applying it to something that has no immediate payoff that you would then have to pitch or maybe self-publish is going to take a little bit of the enthusiasm out of the process unless you're like, I've got this thing that I have to do and I'm going to take the time off to do it. And that's a really hard decision to make when there's no money coming in. So you think that that affects the quality of independent storytelling? That's a that's a hard one. Um, I'm, that's that's going on the assumption that people are operating from a reward, uh, a monetary reward basis. For well, not even art. monetary reward, but like survival. In that, if you if you have a job that pays a lot of money and you know that you have to, because I go through this with painters all the time at the gallery. Most artists have jobs. And they have jobs that they have to have to pay the bills. Whether they make more money from selling paintings than they do from working their day job, um, if you're a gallery exhibiting artist, you are a professional. And you're a professional artist. And you can um, try and, and, and some people want to make distinctions about, you know, 
you know, percentages. I, I don't do that. But I think that because an art career isn't necessarily lucrative because of the time it takes to produce a body of work, the time it takes to sell that body of work, and the frequency with which you can exhibit without losing a fan base or cannibalizing your own market, that you often have to make hard decisions about if you're an animator and you paint, can I afford to take off, can I sit out this next project to work on a body of work that's going to be an art, at an art gallery that may not sell? Mm-hmm. And so I think that those are decisions that people maybe wrestle with. And I think in comics, it's maybe less pronounced. A lot of people, if they're, if they're beginners, are just happy to get published and they'll put the time in, in and then they'll realize, you know, what, what that can be worth and what it might not be worth. And that may affect their decision-making process from that point forward. But getting into it, I think that there's a lot more optimism than perhaps if you start in the art business or or in an industry of arts and then are given opportunities to do things, then I think you think a different way because you've, you get used to having a, a survival slash money stream coming in and taking time off from that is impacting your lifestyle. Absolutely. Yeah. On a freelance level, you know, Mm -hmm. once you take, take the job where you have to be there Monday through Friday, nine to five, Mm -hmm. it, there's just no question. You're not going to take that time off. Right. You know, because they're not going to give it to you. You can't right. be like, hey, let me take uh, three months off to go work on this series of paintings that I have in mind. Right. You know, <laughs> they'll be like, okay, see you later. Yeah, enjoy hey, you, that. come here. Yeah. We've got a job for you. <laughs> here's here's that document you need to file with the unemployment office. Um, and so, but now you've done that. So you've gone from being a freelancer to a salaried employee. Mm-hmm. And does that affect the way you think about personal work now? Are you just not thinking about personal work? I'm actually thinking about personal work more. Interesting. Um, because it's afforded me the freedom. Gotcha. To, to not be in the hustle mindset. Right. So now you've got the security, which allows you to not put time in your head worried about where the next paycheck is coming from into right. actually creating. Right. So this has been a beneficial thing for you. For sure. That's yeah. very interesting. So this is... I've, I've actually been able to focus more on... Those those warm up drawings and the the paintings and and the photography that leads to the to paintings and the, right. the things that that I would have time here and there for mm-hmm. in a freelance life, but I didn't. Uh, it, it was it was sporadic at best. Mm-hmm. You know, it was I would set meetings with with a model or I would begin a painting and then it would sit on my board for three weeks while I took a, a project and worked on it. Right. Um, and then once those projects are in your hands, it you know you you have to clear the the, the creative plate. It has yeah. just got to be it's got to be a slate where you're focused on those things. I mean, I'm, maybe other people are different, um, but for me, uh, the the doing sketch art and and illustration during the day, and then turning around and be like, okay, here we go, let's do four more hours on my painting. It, it just it never quite panned out that way. It's too much of a of a shift in in thought process and in For mindset. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, I mean it's and and I encounter that even uh, in the workplace mm-hmm. where we'd be working traditional sketches for you know a week, two weeks, and then. 
in comes this project and they're like, okay, now we need digital paintings, high level of finish, photography assets smashed in there and all this stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, the first couple of them, I'm like, duh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I swear I know I what just, I'm doing. I just <laughs> left my mind. I'm doing something else. Now, the the another interesting aspect of this, because this is really cool, because this is not something that we really discuss too often. And I, I'm sure that people who are interested in this are kind of like, Mind's blown. But um, when, in my experience, as someone who hired companies like Bond to create key art when I was working in entertainment, um, and I'd go visit sometimes, it was manic in that some companies are working on so many different projects at once. It seems like these people never went home. Do you have kind of like an eight-hour day and that's kind of the agreement that you have? Or is it often, are they just throwing more work at you and it's like, we'll pay you overtime or we won't or here's this other work? What's an eight-hour day, Matt? Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, I Honestly, we we aim to have a nine-hour day yeah. with lunch. Right? Yeah, sure, typical, sure. Typical hours. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, we are lucky to be in the situation where there it feels like we are constantly running to to make these things happen. Right. And and if if we wanted to stay late and make or if we can't afford to stay late, we can keep on going and keep on going. But with uh, uh, from my perspective on the sketch art side, I try and and make sure it's you know, it's a scheduling thing. Right. You know, at Art Center, I I pulled no all-nighters. Well, I'm sorry. I pulled almost an all-nighter. I got two hours of sleep this one night. Right. Um, but that was because I learned to manage my time appropriately. Right. Right. I understood how much uh, time it would take to do each thing. Yeah. And so when when I have an eight-hour day I, and, and we understand the project and the process and not too much comes back in on other projects, we're able to say, okay, I'm going to get five sketches done today in right. this style. Or if there's a huge cast, I'm going to get three sketches done today. Right. Um, and so at the end of the day, around about six thirty, seven o'clock, we've hit that mark. And if we're going to stay later, it's going to be another hour, hour and a half later. Yeah. Or two hours. Later. It's increments. Yeah. Yeah. You it's, have to calculate there's, increments. There's not really an in-between because you've, you've, once you're in that process, mm-hmm. um, breaking it up into two days, kind of detrimental to the to the finish quality. Sure, sure. And if there's one thing Bond has, it's finish quality. Right. And then we pride ourselves in the fact that we we aim for that high level of finish every time. Brought to you by WeAreBond.com. <laughs> <laughs> but the um, you know, and again, working having worked in entertainment, that um, a scheduler, there's a job that is not appreciated by people who don't understand. Like that schedulers often make a lot of money, like crazy money, because it's a really hard job when when balancing, you know, hundreds of different employees and dozens of different projects. But when managing your own time, it's really up to an individual to make the effort to start scheduling out their workflow process because it's going to make you not only more efficient, but it's going to improve your quality of life because you know when to stop. If you've said... I'm going to do five drawings today, and you get five drawings, you're like, I can go home now. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, whereas yeah. if you're just kind of plugging away to see how far you can go, you're going to run yourself ragged. You'll probably get sick, actually, because you're not taking care of yourself and you're not taking the proper breaks. But it's going to be really hard for you to fit in a system 
if the workflow changes, if you get a new director that comes in and they work a specific way. If you're used to scheduling your own time, you can adjust to someone else's schedule. If you're not, if you're just, you know, kind of chomping at the bit or just like throwing, you know, hitting the wall with with as many darts as you can, then there is no when. It's just an eventuality. It's it's not a target. Yeah. And um, I think I've seen a lot of people, and I've seen some people that we know, you know, try and um, and work that way where it's just kind of like they casually just keep working. I'm in the grind. I'm not going to stop myself. I'm going to go, go, go. And unless you have some kind of, it doesn't have to be a rigid sensibility, but it has to be a framework in which you can work, you will lose your life, meaning that other thing, mm-hmm. to the thing that you're doing. Yeah. Well, I find people, there, there's, it takes, there's certain people that work certain ways. And, yeah. You know, there's there's a variety of, of work ethics and, and work styles. Yeah. You know, for me, when I, when I was doing the freelance, I, let's say, if they gave me work from home, mm-hmm. oh, I love that stuff, man. That was I was in my in my element then because yeah. I would wake up, warm up drawing, hit the ground running, get you know two sketches done before taking a lunch break. Lunch break, I'd hit the gym, mm-hmm. come back, take a nap, wake up, go to it again, check in at like five six p.m. with them, and then because I had the opportunity, I would keep working, mm-hmm. and I would work into the evening until like eight or nine. And you're not messing with a commute. Right. I, I didn't have the commute and I had that break during the afternoon. Yeah. Right. And that for me, that was, it was invigorating and yeah. I, and it gave me back the energy that I needed to go late. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and if there wasn't, if there wasn't that many sketches on a project or, mm-hmm. or, or if it was not the type of thing that required that much output, mm-hmm. I would find myself, you know, I'd finish up the project and I'd be like, it's 6 p.m. Well, I guess I'll do a, some of my own art. And yeah. then I was, able to shift gears faster because I was surrounded by the things that were my own art. Your totems are right there. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're in your solitude. Yeah. The um, Well, that's great, man. I think that um, I hope that was illuminating for people in that, um, again, careers that people don't necessarily think exist that exist. You know, that if, you, if you're following a career path in the arts, key art design is... I mean, it's a target. It should be a target for people leaving art school. That it's it's a really it's a great creative environment because it has a specific task. And for of sure. course, as you, and you know the difference between personal work and professional work in in that environment is that that work is meant to sell something to somebody. And in a way, you get a leg up when you start doing your own gallery work. Because you've started to understand certain principles that large swaths of the population seem to respond to. And it can be elements of uh, composition. It can be um, a certain figurative pose if you're working in figurative work. It can be color palette. And these things, aesthetic, these, these things will become a part of your toolbox and the way that you think when you start working on your own, your own stuff. And so I think that is always going to be somebody who thinks that, you know, that they're so punk rock and that, you know, I'm not going to work for the man or whatever. I'm just going to do my own personal work. And you know what? Good for them. But when um, when they do move out of mom and dad's house and someone isn't paying their bills and they have to kind of um, and make, make a way in the world on their own, and if they've grown accustomed to, to living in any kind of first world um, situation, then 
they have to realize that the things that they thought were bad can be very, very good, that you can use anything as, as a tool, as a stepstone, and as a learning curve to benefit yourself. I think that oftentimes the attitude behind going into a job can make what could be a really enjoyable experience hellish. And, um, but then again, also, you know, if you walk into something completely blind and you're expecting it to be paradise and it's not quite that, that you're going to be setting yourself up for disappointment. So why I think this has been a great and important conversation is that you genuinely like what you do. Oh yeah. My inner 12 year old on a day to day basis is laughing his ass off. Yeah. I mean, like if you get to sit down and, and, and work on, you know, a project that features characters you grew up on. That's got to be enriching. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and even, not even characters that I grew up on. There's the, you know, there's there's so much out there right now that is just pervasiveness. There's, you know, books and everything. And I do read. So you know, there's certain projects that have, that have, that, you know, it's so many movies are made from existing products. Right. And so, it, Licensed. you know. Licensed. Yeah. Uh, my creative director will be like, "Hey, are you a fan of this?" Yeah. Which I'm not going to say on air, right? And <laughs> yeah, and I'll be like, "Oh, hell yes, yeah, I love that thing. I I I read that book. I, the comic was whatever, you know, the whatever happens to be a video game. I'm so comic. tempted to cover my microphone and just mouth the words to things <laughs> and just kind of knowingly not. I knew it. I knew it. But um, but yeah, I mean, uh, certainly that there's there's got to be joy there. Oh, sure, yeah, and. You know, it's it's at those moments that I remind myself that it's good to to let people know, and I'll walk into the creative director's office and be like, "This is awesome." Yeah. You know, it's a, this is this is a good gig. Yeah. And uh, we did kind of skate over how I got into it. Sure. Tell, quick, early on, quick very story. quickly. Um, I I actually when I got out of of Art Center was hit the ground running freelance for a couple of different companies, got hired at Nickelodeon doing uh, illustration and, and... Was it Dream... What, what pets? The virtual pet n- thing? Neopets. Neopets, right. Yes. yes. Um, and that actually translated into a full-time position at the time, and I took it because it was around the time of the uh, the great uh, tanking of the economy. Yeah. The great recession. Yeah. Yeah, and so I needed something that was guaranteed at that point, which was... It was right there, so I took it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, the person we talked about earlier, Daniel Landerman, mm-hmm. um, he actually got out of school briefly after me, um, shortly after me, rather, and uh, he ended up falling into a um, job doing sketch art at Eisenberg. Eisenberg in Pasadena, in right? Pasadena, and yeah. A big client. Eric's a huge client of mine. Yeah. Yeah. Great place, great people, mm-hmm. you know, and he was there for a number of years, and when Nickelodeon, when when the economy picked up and, and I was feeling like I had to get out of Nickelodeon, he was like, why don't you pick up sketch art? And, mm-hmm. you know, he was busy enough that he was able to tell Eric, why don't you hire Autumn? Yeah. And, you know, it, so it became a, it's, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. That's a, that's the thing I say too, that why why is art school or any college worth the money you pay? And even, you know, to to an extent, people, people like to bag on fraternities. These are the people that are going to give you jobs. Yeah. I mean, it's like the networking that happens at school. You're all in it together. You form friendships. You become close. You have common interests. Um, you're going to want to work with those people again in life. And you're going to want to be the person who gets to introduce that person to their future boss because that's reciprocal that that boss like wow you you turned me on to this really great employee thanks for that and they think of you in that way as as another valuable asset yeah yeah i you know i was 
I freelanced first for Bond, mm-hmm. and a week later, they were they contacted me and said, "Hey, are you available?" I said, "Not available, but let me introduce you to my friend Daniel." And yeah. so I did, and Daniel actually went on full time there prior to, prior to me, right? And he's now the lead sketch artist, and I just get to kind of skate by and let him do all the work. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there it is. There it is in a nutshell. This is this is you know one of the career paths that are is available to someone in the arts, and that affords you not just a paycheck, but probably satisfaction, especially if you're into you know licensed you know franchises that you know you, you will eventually work on something like that. And if you if it's something that's more original, you might even have more contact with the core creative team because they haven't let it go. They haven't like necessarily handed it off to to marketing divisions. And so you get that kind of perspective when they come in and talk to the art department if the um the creative director allows it. <laughs> Sometimes you want to keep real serious divisions between the client and and your um and your employees. There's actually yeah, there's there's a huge division, I yeah. would say, where I've I've told creative directors, "Hey, I I know this person via a producer friend of mine in mm-hmm. Hollywood, and we could go directly to the director and get them to take our poster." Right. And but there's a protocol. Protocol. Yeah, yeah they, 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 they will say, no. Please don't do that. That is a very bad idea. Yeah, please don't do that. Because we'd step on toes, right. and these people that have worked up on the other side of, of their careers to be those marketing people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you step right over them to, yeah. to get to their, their bosses, quote unquote. Yep. Yeah, that's a bad Oh, idea. I've been a marketing director. <laughs> I know what it's like to see people just like step right over you. Yeah. And you're kind of like, I don't mind that they did that, but here's why they shouldn't have type of stuff. Yeah, know? and then you're not going to work with them again. So yeah, there goes yeah. that relationship. And yeah. if there's anything that I've learned about being an artist and being in the arts, it's really about those relationships and and, and honoring them. Yep. So that's a great place to end. But um, before we do, shout out some uh, social media stuff. Where can people find you? Um, best one probably Instagram at a r turkel. That's mm-hmm. the easiest one to find, and mm-hmm. that's at a r t u r k e l. And you still have Tangled Dreams up the um, website? You know, I uh, it's up, but it's ancient. Right. It's, it's I look at it, and those are sketches and stuff that I did five years ago. Wow. Even more, maybe. And um, but I do update uh, my ArtStation profile, mm-hmm. which is artstation.com/slash/artist/slash/artturkel. And are you doing any Patreon? I know Daniel does. Um, I do have a Patreon account. Uh, I, di- I started it and then I dialed it back because I just didn't have the uh, following. Right. Because, you know, I'm not in a front-facing industry. Right, you know right, right, mean? right. Um, but uh, I I do have some plans. I've been doing more streaming and stuff. Eventually, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take those streams and turn them into voiceover tutorials and that sort of thing and offer them up on Gumroad and, and then eventually Patreon again. Nice, nice. It's funny, we were talking um, a few weeks ago to um, a good friend of mine who was doing the same thing. He was popping stuff up on YouTube and then realized he's a special effects guy and realized he was getting a lot of interaction because he was posting stuff that people just don't know. And like, wow, that's genius. How'd you figure that out, Ted? You know, and now, now Evil Ted also has like, you know, he's got Twitch is kind of his big thing, which would be for, for that industry. That's what I'm doing is Twitching. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I'll Twitch, you know, an hour at a time after work when I, when I have the, the energy for it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then eventually I'm going to take those, you know, four or five hours and, and turn them into a tutorial. Yep. And turn that fan base into minions and acolytes. Yes. <laughs> minions and acolytes. 
Okay, well, thanks again, everybody, for uh, tuning in to another episode of Pod Sequentialism. I have been your host, Matt Kennedy. Um, again, this is a production of the Meltdown Comic, um, Meltdown Comics and Collectibles, Meltdown Podcast, uh, La Luz de Jesus Gallery. Um, and I encourage everybody, as always, to check out what I'm doing at Gallery 30 South in Pasadena. That's Gallery 30 South. Um, doing not quite the necessarily figurative thing, but doing things that aren't figurative in very figurative way. And I know that's confusing, so check it out. And until next week, um, hang in there and uh, do something creative. Hello, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism. And um, what many, many of you may know that I, I do run a gallery in Los Angeles called La Luz de Jesus Gallery. And what you may not know is that it's inside Wacko, which is probably the greatest center of pop culture in the world. And it may sound like hyperbole, it's not. Um, you can, if you don't want to trust my judgment, you can listen to people like Kevin Smith, uh, James Gunn, uh, David Mack, um, all of whom will swear that uh, one of their favorite places on earth is uh, Wacko, the shop that houses La Luz de Jesus Gallery. Um, whether it's blind box toys or little tchotchkes or art books, it pretty much is the place that you can get all of your Christmas shopping done for every possible annoying person to buy for that you can imagine. They've got everything, and I highly recommend that you visit them. You can visit them online at soapplant.com. You can visit the gallery at laluzdejesus.com, and that's spelled L-A-L-U-Z-D-E-J-E-S-U-S.com. Check them out and tell them Matt Kennedy sent you.